declare things like chains fall, fear bow. That's where those things belong. They don't belong shackled to us. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you all tonight. It's Sunday night. And I was looking around as we were singing, and it's just, it's the family tonight. It's all fam here. So I'm going to do a classic Becky move, and maybe some of you know what I'm going to say. Can we sit closer together? Um, maybe come into these two middle sections. I'm going to move too. when it's just the family because it feels cozy and Christmas feels cozy how many of you guys like cozy Christmas can we put them up here let's just slide this yeah I'm going to slide over so everyone can see them can everybody see them okay I don't want to be in front of them Okay, everybody go back to your seats. No, just kidding. <laughs> yes, I was that teacher. I would do that to my students because there's actually a thing in the brain. They say that when you switch positions or spots that you actually like restart yourself. I don't know if anyone's ever heard that. It was something I learned in college. And I found it to be true with the first graders. And what I've learned about the difference between a first grader and a 40 year old is there's just not much difference. Um, you're just older. You're really, everything you need to know you learned in kindergarten. And so kind of there's like a five-year-old's hidden somewhere deep in all, in all of us. And if you say there's not, you're lying. You just don't explore it enough. So we got to explore that more, right? Um, well, the topic I'm going to talk to you about tonight is actually one of the reasons I had you all move, um, and we're going to talk about drawing near tonight, um, and so I think it's only fitting that we're near to each other because that's special and that makes us closer, um, and I think it's a good thing. We just sang a song, and it said, you made a way to cross the great divide you left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. And there were some lyrics before that that I couldn't quite pen quick enough, but it talked about the chasm, that from the far side of the chasm, you held me in your sight. There's something so amazing about how God views proximity. You can feel really, really far from him and he doesn't see it that way. And so tonight, I want to talk about that. Because one thing I've learned about myself is that usually if I've thought it, someone else has thought it too. I'm not, the older I get, the more I realize I'm not alone in my thinking. Usually I find someone else that's like, I've been there. 
I know exactly what that feels like. And so I think if I took a poll tonight, we could all say at some point we've felt like maybe we were far from God. Even in the midst of coming to church and in our spiritual walk. Um, and so I think that this just bears repeating over and over again. And so I'm going to draw your attention to our text tonight. It comes, um, I'm coming from James chapter 4 and verse 8. And I thanked our pastor this morning because he so wonderfully put this right towards the end of his message. And I was like, hey, that's God. Thank you. And he said, well, you just pick up where I left off. I said, deal, pastor. So he read this for us this morning, and it simply says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your love in our lives. I thank you, God, that you show up when we call on you. And I, got, I thank you, God, that you're as close as the mention of your name tonight. God, you see every person here tonight, God. These are faithful saints, God. These are saints that know you. God, and so I ask, Lord, that you would take us deeper and nearer and closer to you than we have ever been before. Be here in the midst of us tonight. Whisper into our ears and let us know exactly what your plans are for our future. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, I'm taking a peek at the clock right now. Um, the, I started decorating my house pretty much a day or two before Thanksgiving, and much to my husband's dismay, because he's one of the ones that says, you wait till after Thanksgiving. And I have done that. I, I've been really good through the years, but this year I just, I was really organized and I, I knew where all my stuff was. And I was like, can I just put up the tree? And he let me because he's loving and he's wonderful. And so he pulled the tree out for me and he put it together for me. And I got a jump start on some things. And my children love to help me kind of set up things. And I enjoy that time with them. Um, it's just such a wonderful time to spend as a family. And my, my little Blake wanted to get involved this year, and I have this little nativity set that's made out of wood. And I was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him set it up. And I have this little makeshift, like, barn manger thing that I put out on our mantle. And so I gave him all the pieces. I said, you have to unwrap them, be careful with them, and I want you to set them up. You know what they should look like. And I kind of went back to doing some of the things I was doing, and, and I turned, and he had the wise men in, in, in the barn with, with Mary and Joseph. And I said, oh, no, no, no. Let's put the wise men across the way from, because they traveled to Jesus. And so we, I want to I I see that, like that they're, they're kind of journeying to where he's at. And so he, you know, he, I just kind of helped him get him out, and, and he moved him. And after I told him that, I couldn't take my, he places them he, over across the way, and I just could not for the rest of the night take my eyes off those three wise men. Now, I don't know if there were three, you know, studies don't, don't really say what, how many there were. In my manger set, there are three. Um, in this manger set that I robbed my mother-in-law of, there are three. Um, but they don't really tell you in Scripture how many there were. 
but I could not take my eyes off them. And so I, I turned to the book of Matthew um, just to read their story again um, because I, I had kind of given some instruction and now I was intrigued. And so I like telling stories. So I'm just going to give you a really quick, brief summary of this, the Wiseman's story before I make some points about them that I want to draw out here tonight, okay? So their first encounter was with a star. And being learned men and having studied the sky for many years, they knew that this star held some value. The Bible even lets us know that they knew lots of information about this star. Because when they stood before Herod, they were able to answer, the Bible says, his diligent questions. And we see this in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star would appear. So here, Herod's just asking them lots of questions. And so we see that they began their journey to Jesus through the study of something familiar to them at that time. They were into astrology. They were watching the stars already. This was a common practice for them. And so all of a sudden, they're kind of noticing things, and they're like, you know what? We're going we're gonna to make a journey. We're going to go see this birth of this king that's coming out of Judah. And this is where the story gets interesting because they actually take their curiosity and move, right? They pack up their bags, they grab some gifts, right? And they begin the long journey from the far east to not Bethlehem. They go to Jerusalem. I pulled up a map as I was studying just to see the distance. And I found that it was somewhere between 300 to 400 miles and would have taken them close to 40 days to complete their journey. So they studied and they pondered, and then they began to move in his direction. But before they got to him, they had to stop and ask for directions. And, and most men may, maybe need to do this. I don't know. Do you know any men that stop to ask for directions? No. <laughs> so I see some men like, come on, change the subject. My husband told me when we were dating that all roads actually were parallel to each other, and if we were lost, that's the line he would, he would say, Becky, roads run parallel. Well, we're, I know where we're going. And, and I would just kind of smile and say, okay. And now, every now and then, we have stopped to ask for directions. But um, anyway, Herod was the reigning monarch at this time, and the wise men went to him for more answers. However, Herod was just as puzzled as they were. The wise men had even asked people in the streets as they were coming into the city, but no one seemed to know who this king was. Herod then gathers the chief scribes and the, um, the chief priests and the scribes, so all the religious men, and he asked them to look into the scriptures. And the scripture that they take the wise men to is found in Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2. It says, But thou, Bethlehem Euphrata, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Okay, so here they're reading this prophecy, and they're saying, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So they kind of get their answer from the religious scribes that are living in this, in this time period. Okay, the wise men also did not know, though, and I'm, I'm pretty sure they didn't know, that they were also a fulfillment of Scripture. 
Isaiah 60, verse 3, and then jumping down to verse 6, it says, And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. That's verse 3. And then if you jump down to 6, it says, The multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephap, all they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. I've never seen this scripture before until I started studying them out. I thought that was a pretty neat find for me um, because I didn't know the wise men were foretelling of prophecy and that they were actually fulfilling a prophecy by coming to worship the baby. Now, these Gentile wise men have a pinpointed direction. They're kind of like, okay, we now know where we're going, and they're five miles from where the king of the Jews is to be born. Okay, this is the distance they have to travel. And now, the Bible says, all of a sudden, this star appears that they had been studying, and they geek out. That's my layman terms for they were really excited, okay? Um, the star guides them for five miles, and they're really excited because it brings them right to the door where Jesus is. And picture with me, if you will, for just a moment, how, how big did this star have to be to point to a door, a house? I mean, I... I'm trying to imagine you're kind of going, you're not going to go way up in the star. Go, okay, it's pointing to that house. How big was this star? I'm just pretty, it's pretty, it's a pretty neat thing to think about. They were excited and overjoyed. So Matthew 2, 9 and 10 says, when they had heard the king, they departed and lo, the star, which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Okay. And this is the good part. As they got closer and closer to Jesus, joy began to grow in their hearts and minds. What they had been seeking and pondering and questioning was now going to be right in front of them. And we know exactly how they responded, right? There, some of the posture is already on these statues. We know what they did. Matthew 2 and 11 says, And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So the sacrifice here is one of total surrender. This was not just a game of hide-and-seek or a quest to prove that they were right. Rather, it was a journey that led them straight to their knees in humble surrender. They brought a costly sacrifice that night. Gifts, themselves, the journey, the time, all of it adds up to a total sacrifice. And this is where we come to James 4 and 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Because what you see here with the wise men is, as they were guided, they, God in turn guides them in. Right? He draws them with the star, they follow the star. This is a whole, it's two things going on at the same time because of where their hearts were, because of what they desired. The desire was so great within them. And so as I began to think and ponder their trek and their sacrifice, 
I actually thought that they had every reason not to draw near. And you're like, why would you think that? Because they were pagan believers. This was not their king. They were Gentiles. He was a Jew. There was a lot of time and distance between them and this baby for this to not be. Why was this such a big deal? They were giving up costly, costly gifts to this baby who also was not going to to rule and reign over them in the way that they saw ruling and reigning. But they were willing to do this anyway. So they had reasons not to, much like we give reasons not to. Maybe it's that we're, it's not the right time. It's that we're too busy. Life is going good. I don't have a need right now. Praying and all that church stuff is kind of difficult. I don't want to get too spiritual. Spirituality is for my pastor or for the leadership of the church. I don't need that. You know, I've prayed before, and I have a lot of unanswered prayers just kind of hanging out there. I have some unsaved loved ones. God's not, God's not saving them. I haven't seen God do anything in my life. I could say I'm maybe the only one that's thought these things, but I think as humanity teaches us, we've all been, if I didn't name it, there's something, some reason we've given throughout time that says, now's not a good time. Now's not a good time for me to draw near. Now's not a good time for me to stop what I'm doing. We don't draw nigh like we should, and life actually becomes more difficult, not easier, as we try to maneuver it on our own. And the longer we go without bowing a knee or whispering a prayer or talking to someone else about him, the more shame we feel in this area of our lives. Shame. It's a dirty word. We, hear, we heard it maybe as a child on the lips of someone at some point, it may have been directed your way, or maybe it was directed at someone you know. Shame on you. How could you make that mistake? Shame can leave us frozen and helpless, feeling like nothing is going to change and like we have no way out. Shame is the great destroyer of connection and nearness. I'm going to say that again. Shame is the great destroyer of connection and nearness. It leads us further away from what we actually need in our lives and breaks apart the fabric of relationships we need the most. And now this would be terrible if I was maybe talking about just your connections with people. But I'm actually talking about your connection with the most important person in the universe. I'm talking about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That baby born in a manger that came and, and gave it all for you, that's the relationship I'm talking about. That is the most number one important relationship you will ever have. And the only reason I know about shame is because 
to know shame, you have to actually have lived shame. And I have been there. Recently and long distant in my past, shame likes to hunt us, it likes to follow us, it likes to tell us all kinds of lies. It can be our flesh, it can be Satan, it can be the bad day, it can be the job promotion you didn't get, it can be whatever you want to label it as, but it likes to follow us. It keeps us feeling separated from the love of God. This is a hard place to be, and for me, it was a lonely place to be because I felt embarrassed about where I was. And Brother Eric, when you were talking last night, last week about prayer, and you said there are people sitting on the pews that actually feel separated from God. I was already reading some of this, and I was like, wow, I'm not the only one feeling this way. In a crowd of believers this size, there's someone in this room that doesn't feel like they're where they want to be spiritually with God. They feel like they miss the mark. And it's not just because of sin. It can be because we don't feel worthy. It can be so many different things that can cloud our mind. Do you know they say that negative thinking is four to seven times more powerful than positive thinking? Once you get in this cycle of, of, of negative thought, it like traps you. It says 80% of thoughts are negative and 95% of them are repetitive. So your, your negative thought life is so vast and then your repetitive, so repetitive negative thinking is this storm cloud that follows us through life. Your thoughts create feelings, which create reactions, which create results. Your thoughts are powerful. I used to despise these low places in my life. I used to think, this is terrible. Here I go again. I'm just in another low, low place. Woe is me. But you know what recently I've learned? That God is so tender in these moments. And that's why there's like an overtime working on keeping us so drudged down because God is so much more tender. His reach, his tuned ear for the desperate cry, it's like perfect. That cry of desperation, he loves to hear it. I think this is why the wise man's journey to be closer has ministered to me at the perfect time and at the perfect season. Drawing close to Jesus is the step many of us need to take because shame is not the only thing that hinders us. We could pick from a long laundry list. We got anxiety and depression and anger and doubt and loneliness, and the list could go on and on. And so I'm not sure where you specifically sit tonight. You might feel that your relationship with God has never been better. But on the chance that you don't feel that way, I hope that something I'm going to say here tonight will encourage you to say, you know what, I'm going to step beyond. I'm going to step beyond the feeling. I'm going to step beyond the thought pattern. And I'm going to draw near anyway. Because drawing near is actually costly. And I, I said this last night, and I don't know if, if I'm sharing something good with you 
or if I'm actually sharing something bad with you when I say that it's costly. Because you can look at it in two ways. You can say, all right, I'm ready to put in the work and the sweat equity that it's going to take me to get to where I want to be with Jesus. Or you can say, what do you mean it's costly? What do you mean? Does that mean hard? You know, you can start to ask all kinds of questions. And so let's look at what, the, what it costs the wise men. It costs them the journey, the time, the gifts. They had to even dodge Herod and his threats. Um, I mean, there was a lot of things. And it, it actually adds up to this beautiful sacrifice that we get to, to look at during Christmas and say, wow, they really gave a lot. Matthew 2 and 11 reveals the depth of what it cost them, and they willingly offered worship. We see how they fell down and worship with freedom and unhindered, as if that weren't enough. Then they lay down gifts, costly gifts. These gifts were fit for a king and were truly what Jesus was worthy of, right? David actually said it perfectly when he talked about cost. In First Chronicles 21 and 24, he said, Nay, but I will verily buy it for the full price. For I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost. David said, I'm not going to give something to the Lord that's cheap and easy and flimsy and breaks. And, and I want it to mean something. And so you better let me pay you because God's, God's sacrifices are not free. They cannot be free. Mary knew the cost of the oil she poured out on Jesus, and she poured it out anyway. It was for this very reason one of the disciples, Judas, called her out in John 12 and 5 and says, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? And so here we see two different ways of approaching cost. We see one that says extravagance is all there is. It has to be poured out. It's the only thing that I have. This is the only thing that's good enough because it's pricey. And then you'll have someone who says, what are you doing? Why would you do that? That's too expensive. That costs way too much. Why are you wasting that? That could have been used for something else. Your time could have better been spent elsewhere, giving something to somebody else. And so we see someone who realizes cost and who she's giving it to, and we see someone who's counting the cost and saying, I don't know that that's really what he's worth. And so have you counted the cost tonight? Because scripture says, count it and then take up your cross. And last I checked, crosses were heavy. Crosses weigh you down. Crosses create burden. Whatever that burden might be, if it's a burden for a soul or if it's a burden for the lost or if it's a burden for your pastor or, or some ministry person or, or a burden for a child, cost in the kingdom means weight. 
And so it can be hard to press in. Cost means difficulty to us. It can mean struggle and hardship as we move forward. But what scripture is pointing out to us is this is part of drawing near to God. Because church, your best life is not your easiest life. Your best life is not going to be your easiest life. Can we just let that sink in for one minute? Because I think that holds a whole lot of weight to it. We don't want easy street. I don't want it just another walk down easy street, Lord. I want to do the hard things that matter to push beyond, to pay the price, to see something happen in, in people in this world. And that's a weighty thing. And so we think the things of Jesus are hard. There were many disciples that actually walked away, Scripture says, because John 6 and 60 says, Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? This is too hard. I'm done. I, I can't do that. You're, you've crossed a line. This is as much as I'm willing to give. The rest of it, I, I, I just don't know about. I don't like that. I don't like that. And so counting the cost means we go, okay, yes. I've counted it, and it's worth, he's worth it. He's worth it to me. Journeys are going to have lots of rough terrain, church. Sometimes you're going to feel like you're on a mountain. Sometimes you're going to feel like you're in the valley. Sometimes things are going to look the same for a while. Have you ever been on one of those road trips where you're like, things just haven't changed in a while. Man, it just all looks like, am I just repeating the same road over and over again? And it can start to feel a little mundane. And sometimes it might feel like a desert. It's, it's going to change, and seasons are going to change. But we're still compelled to draw near, to come close, no matter what the terrain looks like, no matter what things look like around us. Drawing nigh to God is not something that happens overnight. It's an in-it-for-the-long-haul commitment, right? Proverbs 4, 25 through 27 says, Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of your feet, and let all your ways be established. Turn not to the right hand or to the left, and remove your foot from evil. And so we are to ponder the path of our feet. And so I ask you tonight, are your feet headed towards the manger? Have you thought about the sacrifice it's taking to get there? Because you can do it. God has already drawn you. He is already reaching for you, right? And he says, come to me. We sing a song this time of year and we say, oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. You're invited to the manger. You already have an open invitation, and so we just have to draw near. And, you know, I saw it last night. It was so simple. 
I saw that as, as you lift your hands and you just begin to adore him and you begin to cry out in desperation, I see how quick he comes to that moment and he refreshes and he draws you back in and he says it's all going to be okay I know that what you're feeling is is rough and and it's been hard and I know that you deal with this thing from the past but in this moment right now with me it's all going to be okay because I think when we come to God we're saying God take it away take take the bad away and what we really need to say is, God, I just want to be near. I just want to be near. Whether you take it or not, I just want to be near. Does anybody feel like that this morning or this evening? I feel like that. These, these days, I'm looking at the world around me, and I'm seeing how dark things are getting. And I'm saying, you know what, God? You know what's enough for me right now is that you're real in a world where nothing else is guaranteed and my tomorrows are not known, you're real right now. And we have access to him like this. He's as close as the mention of his name and drawing near is just one minute away, church. The shift in your circumstance is just one minute away. It's just one call, one minute and what floods us in those moments is actually those feelings of joy. I prayed with someone last night, and she looked at me. We prayed for five minutes. And she looked at me, and she goes, I feel so good. I feel so good right now. This is what I've needed. I don't know why I've waited for so long. I've said that before, too. God, why did it take me so long to get here? This is what I needed all along. And so drawing near actually brings lasting joy into your life, right? We see in Matthew 2 and 10 what happened to the wise men as they got close. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, right? Joy draws us closer to Jesus. But what is joy really? We sing about it. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Right? Joy to the world. He came. He brought joy to the world. And Jesus does do that. But do you have it? There's a difference between Jesus bringing joy into the world and us reaching out and going, I want that for me. Right? I got to get me a piece of joy from Jesus, right? I've been reading this book recently. It's called The Gifts of Imperfection. And it had this to say about our lack of joy. It says, for me and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, the thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours and the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. We don't have enough exercise. We don't have enough work. We don't have enough profits. We don't have enough power. We don't have enough wilderness. We don't have enough weekends. Of course, we don't have enough money ever. We're not thin enough. We're not smart enough. We're not pretty enough or fit enough or educated or successful enough or rich enough 
ever, before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds race with a litany of what we didn't get or didn't get done that day. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up to the revelry of lack. What begins as a simple expression of the hurried life or even the challenged life grows into the great justification of an unfulfilled life. This seemingly simple idea of being grateful or filled with gratitude for what we have actually seems like it can be a trivial, simple task to us. Thanksgiving comes around, I'm thankful for my food, I'm thankful for my friends, I'm thankful for my family, I'm thankful for my dog, I'm thankful for my clothes on my back, and we kind of rattle things off. But do you know that actually practicing this is packed with vitamins and nutrition for your brain and your body and your life? It actually does things to you. The other day I had a conversation with my mom on the phone. I'm going to rat us out, mom. But it was good. We were talking, and she began to actually say really, really amazing things about things going on in my life. And of course, I started to cry, because I was like, oh, she's being so nice to me. But then she started saying, and then I've just been praising and thanking God for all the blessings in my life. And then we were both like, Giving thanks, we, it just like, it, it's contagious is my point. As you begin to talk about good and what you're thankful for and what's going good, it actually is like a, you get this little high. And I, at the end of the conversation, I said to her, thank you so much for this conversation. And I got off the phone and I was like sailing because that's what it does. It kind of grabs a hold of you and like pulls you in and, and makes you feel satisfied. And it's, it's just a really good thing. So I found some statistics. It says 45% of people have not felt true joy for more than two years. 25% don't know or have forgotten what it means to truly feel joyful. 88% are looking for new experiences to make them smile and laugh. More than half, 53%, wish money could buy happiness, with 78% willing to pay a premium for true happiness. These are high numbers of, of humanity looking for joy, for something to smile about. And so what does the Word of God have to say about it? Psalms 30 30 and verse 5 says, For his anger endureth but a moment, but in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Right? We sing about all this stuff in church, right? So I have good news for you tonight. Joy is around the next corner. Joy is waiting for you in your tomorrow. Joy is coming, coming, coming in the morning. If we actually believe that, that means when your feet touch the floor tomorrow, that's the morning. You get to say, hey, God said joy was coming in the morning, and so I'm going to actually embrace joy because it's the morning. And the word of God says it. John 16 and 22 says, and you, know that you now therefore have sorrow. 
but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. I have more good news for you. No one can steal your joy. You don't have to put it under lock and key. You don't have to hide it in a vault. You don't have to worry about it getting stolen out of your garage or your vehicle. You get to have it for as long as you want it. The only one that can steal it from you is you, if you let people, right? If you let people, you let circumstances, it's a choice, right? John 15, 11, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. I like this one because there's two. He wants your joy to remain. It gets to stick around. And not that you're just half full, but that you're totally filled to the complete tippity top of your beautiful, handsome head right? That's where he wants it, right here up to the top full. So it sounds like we have work to do, church. We have to actually practice gratitude. And so we're going to do that because it's kind of like a class tonight. We're going to do a little exercise, okay? I'm not just going to talk at you. I'm going to make you wake up a little bit here. I want you to turn to someone next to you and I'm going to give you like a minute or two, and you can talk out loud, okay? So this is a classroom for a second here. I want you to tell somebody something good that's happened to you recently or first thing that comes to your mind, and I want you to give God praise for it, okay? One, two, three, go. All right. I don't know if you're mid-story or not. I don't want to, you know, stop anyone from telling a cool story. Because when you're in the middle of a good story and someone's like, hey, I got to interrupt you for That's so annoying. I don't like that. It's a good story. Um, but when it, I want to point out some of the things I noticed. And this is the second time I've done this. Everybody was smiling. There was laughter. Did anybody hear? I heard like three or four people laugh out loud. Um, you're engaged. The, everybody's eyes were really bright. 
because we're talking about good things, okay? And so this is going to sound really, really silly to you, but our dear pastor's wife has helped me a lot with this, and I actually talked to her on the phone. I can't talk about it without crying to her because she's helped me so much with this area of my life. Um, if you want to learn how to be grateful and have good gratitude in your life, see our pastor's wife. She's amazing. Um, she's been through a lot, and so you learn how to really be joyful. She's, she's awesome. But um, one of the things that she had kind of talked to me about was just this idea of self-talk and how we talk. We're so mean to ourselves. As a society, we say some really mean things, not always out loud, but just in our heads to ourselves. And a couple months ago, I did a class with my mom, and, and I, I get really, really nervous before I speak. No one ever believes me. I do. It's a thing. I actually get really, really nervous, and I, I say a lot of mean things to myself before I'm getting ready to do something for the Lord. And um, she kind of challenged me. She's like, kind of talk out loud to yourself. And it's, it starts out, you start feeling really weird doing it, but, and if you don't feel like doing this, you don't have to. It's just a suggestion. <laughs> um, but I was actually driving in my car, and I was just really being attacked by doubts and doubts within myself and doubts in my abilities. And I actually... <laughs> pulled my rear view mirror down. This is self-confession time. And I, I could see my eyes. And I was at a stoplight. And I made sure no one was on the sides of me before I looked like a crazy person. And I said, Becky, you will do a good job because you love people. And I just began to talk to myself and say, you love this. You enjoy communication. You enjoy people. You, you, you have a love for the people you talk to. Why are you letting this get you down? And do you know it left? All the doubt, all the ugly talk in my head. And you know what, hap what replaced it? I got excited about what I was getting ready to do, about the ministering I was getting ready to be a part of. It changed my whole feeling and demeanor. And I became excited about a work for God. And so pull... Pull your mirror up and look at yourself in the eyes and say, you, right there, you are awesome. And God loves you. And God has forgiven you. And God sees value in you. And God has called you. And God has anointed you. And God has appointed you for now. And you are made for more. And you are ready for this. And you can handle stress. And I would speak those things. And as you start to speak those things over yourself, God shows up in that because God loves you and God made you and you're talking kind to yourself and God's saying, yeah, that's right. That's what I mean. That's who I made you to be. And so what's going to seem crazy, you might even cry. I cried a couple tears the first couple times I did it because I found I didn't believe it about myself. I was so consumed with all these doubts that joy, joy's like, let me in, Becky, let me in. I want to be part of your life. I want to be part of your day. So much is going good. I want you to see that. I want you to see the value. And God wants you to see the value in you. I want you to see the value in you tonight. Can you stand with me? I'm going to make my final closing, closing thoughts here. The, the, the wise men, as they were journeying, you know, we see that they paid the cost and they got to experience joy. 
But one of the things we don't really know too much about the wise men is what, what really, really drew them the night, that night, to come and worship this king. And I kind of asked you that question in the beginning. I, I, had, I was doing this as I was researching. I was looking for an answer, and it was actually through a conversation with my parents that I really got excited because we can't say that where we're standing tonight is of our own efforts. Can anybody say that here? I'm here because I'm here, and I got myself here all by myself. But look around you. You have people. There's probably someone in your past that pulled you up by your bootstraps and said, I'm going to teach you a Bible study. I'm going to work in your life. I'm going to get you where you need to be. And they believed in you. And, you know, we lost, we lost Grandma Parody. This will be our second Christmas without her. But her example, I've, I've noticed this in the last two years, her example is everywhere from my life. There is not one little thing that I look back on and go, oh, yeah, she, that, that, that didn't matter. It mattered. And she gave up so much. And I see the price that she paid to live for Jesus. And every one of us knows someone like that. The price that people pay to live for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 says, Be followers, or, be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. Paul said that. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Right? And so we look at this, the wise men and we go, how did they know? Well, it just so happens that the wise men had someone that drew close to Jesus and left them an example to follow. And for the wise men, their example was a man named Daniel from the, from the Old Testament. King Nebuchadnezzar assigned the prophet Daniel to the high office of chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners in Daniel 5 and 11. In other words, Daniel was appointed chief of the Magi. Why is this important? As Christmas approaches, we will see images and hear stories of the wise men, or as they are often called, Magi, traveling from the east, following a star in order to pay homage to Jesus Christ, the newborn king. Many scholars believe that these magi were Persians from Babylon. How did Babylonians know about Jewish prophecy at all? And what led them to believe that this particular star was the one that would lead them to a great newborn king? This is where the prophet Daniel comes in. Not only was Daniel chief of the Magi, but his prophecies became known throughout the ancient Near East. Even the Romans were aware of his prophecies of a coming king of Israel. The Magi of the first century would have most certainly studied the writings of Daniel and possibly other Jewish writings Daniel likely referenced, such as the book of Isaiah. This connection between Daniel and the Magi may help to explain why almost 600 years later, the Magi in question expected a Jewish king to arrive near the end of the first century BC. It is likely that the Magi followed the star based on their study of the prophet Daniel's writings. 
And so I say to you tonight, it's really important that you draw near. Not only because you need the relationship with God for you, but it's really important that you draw near because there's others that are going to follow behind you. And it could be family. It could be a friend. It could be a co-worker. And so we don't just draw near church for us. We draw near because there's a world that can be impacted. And as I began to think about Daniel, Daniel was an Old Testament character when we look at our Bibles. Do you know that by drawing near to God, he actually inserted himself into the New Testament? His, his relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, look, you just have to read the book of Daniel to know Daniel had a relationship with God. He had a prayer life. He, he suffered being thrown in, in the lion's den. He, he came against all kinds of things, but he didn't let that stop him from drawing near to God. And in turn, he helped others draw near to Jesus Christ themselves. And so I don't know where you can find a spot in something I've said tonight that you're like, you know what, that's me. But I know this, a church that's as close as they can be to God is definitely going to impact their world for Jesus Christ. And one of the things I know is I want to be one of those people. I don't want to be worried about what the world's doing or who's drawing near or if I'm amongst friends. I want to take time to get as close to Jesus as I can. And so tonight, I'm going to lead us in just a simple prayer. And I want you to come down to the front and just make another declaration. God, I want to draw near this season to you. I want 2024 to look different than 2023. Jesus, I thank you so much, Lord, for your love, God, for your calling, for your mercy, and for your grace, God. And I thank you for each person here tonight, Lord. I thank you for your birth, Lord, that you invite each one of us to draw near to you, to come close to you, God, to be more for you. I don't want to sit on the sidelines, God. I want to embrace the calling that you have, Lord. Whatever the cost might be, God, I've counted the cost, and I've found, Lord, that you are still worthy. You are still holy. You are still deserving, God. I want more joy in my life, Jesus. I want to wake up each morning, God, knowing that you love me and that you see me and that you know me. And God, I ask that you would fill each person here with a great joy, God, a joy that is so unspeakable and full of glory, God. I ask you right now, touch us, be with us tonight. Come on, church, let's draw near. You can come up and pray. Let's spend some time with the King of Kings tonight. Jesus.